Good evening and welcome to this Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our title is A Place for You. This is a reference to what Jesus says to people that He goes to prepare a place for us. And we'll also be looking tonight at Abraham. It's interesting that there are a few passages where Abraham is promised that he will inherit the Holy Land forever. Not only will his descendants inherit it forever, he will inherit it forever. And yet, in the New Testament, we see Abraham up in heaven. Hmm, what's going on? So that's what we'll be looking at tonight. So can you join me for an opening <laughs> prayer, good friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you're the one God of heaven and earth. You are the Word made flesh. We pray for your presence among us, Lord, as you open the Word to us. We are seeking you in the pages of your Word. Amen. Amen. Thank you, friends. A blessing to be with you. Sending love out to all of you online and those who are getting the audio and all these different forms, friends on the phone and so forth. Uh, I haven't done this for a little while. Let's talk about what our Bible study is here. Spirit and Life Bible Study looks at the Bible through a Swedenborgian lens, meaning in alignment with the teachings of Emanuel Swedenborg, 1688 to 1772. The name Spirit and Life comes from Jesus Himself, who says that His words are spirit and they are life, John 6, 63. Spirit meaning that His words have a spiritual and heavenly meaning and purpose, and life meaning that His words are alive and aim to bring us to life by teaching us how we are to live if we wish to become spiritual and heavenly. And since Jesus is the Word made flesh, John 1.14, what He says of His words applies to all the words of the Bible, we believe. They all teach who He is and how to get from hell to heaven. So, good friends, let's go to John chapter 14, shall we? This is in the New Testament, and this is where Jesus says that He goes to prepare a place for us. Mm, the very beginning of John 14 there. This let, is Jesus speaking. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And, by the way, this is in the closing. If you look back in chapter 13, that's where the foot washing occurred. These are in the last, you know, it's the last week of Jesus' life. So when he says, I go, it, he's, he's going quite shortly. You know, mm. he's going in a few days. Uh, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if... And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Yes, that's all we'll read for tonight of that, although it's a wonderful, wonderful passage. Uh, so I go to prepare a place for you, and then the idea is that if the Lord prepares a place for us, He'll come again and receive us to Himself so that where He is, we may be also. A very, very beautiful thought. And this brought to mind the story of Abraham, as I mentioned before in the lead-in. Let's go back to Genesis to chapter 12. Uh, we've been introduced shortly before this to this character named Abram. His name is later changed to Abraham. And let's look at the first few verses of chapter 12. Abraham does not start out in the Holy Land, the Holy Land meaning 
Palestine, uh, Israel, so on. Uh, he starts out over in Ur of the Chaldees, which is over more in what became Babylon and is now Iraq. Um, go ahead. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. Yes, uh, I'm already planning, which is unusual, for next week to talk about journeying. You know, tonight we're talking about a place for you. Next week we'll talk about how you get there. Uh, Abram goes on this journey to the land that the Lord will show him. And then he says he's going to make of him a, a great nation and, and so on. Uh, look at chapter 13 then. Verses 14 to 17. I don't know if you see the same thing in here that I see, but let's see what it says here. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you. And to you. To you. Mm, okay. And your descendants forever. Forever. So and he's giving... So he's giving the land. So Abram's journeyed and he's come around into the land of Canaan, into Palestine, whatever you want to call it. And it's, um, can someone get the door? Someone's trying to get in over there. Thank you. Um, the, the, he's, he's over there in the Holy Land and he's shown uh, the extent of the land. And he's told that this will be his land and his descendants land forever. Interesting. That's very intriguing because if you had a, um, okay, you could say, well, it's sort of just talking about really Abram's descendants because he's not going to live forever, right? And uh, so it's talking about his descendants. But even if you take it literally and you think that it's about his descendants living in the land forever, the fact is they haven't. It's sort of a sad, tragic story, but they, they lost 70 years there at some point. And then later on, they were back in the land in the second, second temple period. And that, and that ended in 70 AD. And for 19 centuries, uh, they weren't in the land. And so to say, I'll give you the land forever, and then they're not in it for, you know, almost 2,000 years doesn't seem like forever. You know, like it doesn't qualify as forever. And so the, this story does not have a literal fulfillment but what does it mean? And let's, let's go on let read the next couple of verses. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. I give it to you. Now, it's a very interesting thing. So he says quite explicitly twice in there that he's giving the land to Abram, who becomes Abraham. But... The fact is, Abraham only ever sojourns in the land. He's, he, never, he never really lives there as a, as a permanent resident. That doesn't happen until uh, you go through Isaac. He sojourns in the land. Jacob, he sojourns in the land. Then they all go down to Egypt, and it's 400 years go by. Then they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And then they finally kind of move in, and, and they drive the enemies out, and they own the place kind of thing. Uh, but that doesn't, that doesn't happen to Abraham. And yet this text says... I'm giving you the land forever. Uh, have a look at chapter 17 in Genesis. Uh, let's look at verses 1 to 8 here. 
When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Interesting that it says I'll multiply you. You know, he says it expressly that way. I'll multiply you exceedingly, okay? Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. Here comes the name change. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Abraham means father of a multitude. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Yes, so he says, I'm going to be God to you. Uh, and look at verse 8. Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession. An everlasting possession. It says it again. I'm going to give you Canaan to you and your descendants, an everlasting possession. Interesting, okay? And I will be their there. God. Okay, and look at verse 19 down there. Uh, this is what God says about his wife, Sarah. Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Same deal with Isaac, his son Isaac. I'm going to make a covenant with him. It's going to be everlasting and with his descendants. Interesting. Okay, let's turn to chapter 25 uh, in Genesis and look at verse 8. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Okay, so he was promised something. He would promise to be in this land everlastingly in chapters 13 and 17. And in chapter 25, he dies. He's not in this world anymore. So how, how does this work? You know, what does that mean? It cannot mean I'm giving you this physical country forever. You know, it can't mean that. It's got to mean something else. Uh, look at 26 verse 3. Uh, this is about Isaac. Dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So the same kind of covenant is continued with that next generation. And let's look at chapter 28. Don't you love it? It's just awesome. 28 uh, verses 3 and 4. This is about Jacob now. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples. Again, it says you. You may be an assembly. It's strange language, isn't it? You may be an assembly of people, okay? 
and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger. Same language to Abraham. <laughs> you may inherit the land, even though Jacob isn't, you know, he isn't going to live that long. He, he'll, be, he'll be long gone before they wander through the wilderness 400 years later and all that. But he says, you're going to inherit the land where you are a stranger now, which... Which God gave to Abraham. Yes. He couldn't ever use it in that way, but, but he gave it to him. Uh, and 10, following down there, verse 10 in Genesis 28. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Mm. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Mm. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Well, actually, Abraham wasn't his father. Abraham was his grandfather. Isaac was his father. But anyway, go on. <laughs> the land on which you lie, I will give to you to and you your descendants. And your descendants. I'll give it to you, Jacob, even though Jacob will be long dead when they get in the land. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Same sort of deal, isn't it? Go on. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west. You, you, Jacob, will spread abroad to the west. And the east. To the east. To the north and north, the south. South. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Mm, look at that. Let's just read on a little bit more because it's so great. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Yes, next verse. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. This is the gate of heaven. Isn't that striking? This is the gate of heaven. So he had no idea. He was just out in the wilderness somewhere, and, and then the Lord appears to him, and he realizes this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And the Lord promises to be with him and give him that land, even though that's not literally fulfilled. Uh, let's turn to Genesis chapter 48. And uh, look at verse 4. This is about Jacob is talking to Joseph. And he relates this story. Let's look at verse 3 and 4 then. Okay. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. I'll multiply you, he says. And I will make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. There's the everlasting possession again. Okay, let's go through Exodus and Leviticus to Numbers and look for Numbers chapter 18. Hmm, okay. Uh, 18? Numbers 18. Um, it's, let's just read it. It's, it's not that central to what we're talking about, but look at verse 19 there. All the heave offerings of the holy things, which the children of Israel offer to the Lord, 
I have given to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever. Forever. Hmm. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you and your descendants with you. Yes, to you. So again, you get this idea of forever for you and your descendants with you. So it's not, it's not speaking in sort of earthly terms where generally you have one generation and then another generation and the older generations start to pass away and the new ones come along. You know, this is, this is in a different kind of mode, isn't it? And turn to the right, go to Deuteronomy chapter 11. And we'll start at verse 8 here. Therefore you shall keep every commandment which I commanded you today, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give your fathers to them and their descendants. To them and their descendants. He's going to give them the land, even though they weren't in this physical world ever going to be able to cash in on it. He was giving them the land and their descendants, right? A land flowing with milk and honey. Yes. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, uh -huh. where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. Uh -huh. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven. Isn't that nice? A land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. Okay, so the Lord's presence and his consciousness mm. are on that land. Mm. And let's look at verse 13 there. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which if, I command that's right. you today. If you earnestly do that, that's right. If. And what are those commandments? To love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Then what will we get? Then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil. Hmm. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. Okay. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. What would happen in that case? Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. So there is one statement of many, many that the way that you live your life determines whether you're going to be in the land for a long time or you're not. Mm -hmm. Are you going to be kicked off the land or you're going to be able to stay there? Uh, is this literally about Palestine? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. Okay, starting at verse 15. Another summary from Moses about what's going on. Hmm. Okay. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. This is weird how people keep multiplying in here, you know, that you may multiply. You know, that's what's going to happen, okay? And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But. But. If. If your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish 
You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. Mm. <clears throat> I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, <coughs> blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Both you and your descendants may live. This is the idea, isn't it? That they'll both live. And look at verse 20. It's such a beautiful statement. That you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, mm. and that you may cling to Him. Cling to Him. For He is your life and the length of your days. There it is. He's your life and the length of your days. Go on. And that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. To give them. He was going to give them the land, and we'll get it if we obey His commandments. All right, so some of you can see where I'm going with this, that the land that it's talking about cannot literally be in those promises and the covenants and everything, the everlasting, and it's not only to your descendants, but it's to you. You're going to get the land and everything. It's talking about heaven, isn't it? It's talking about something of the afterlife, not something in this world. Uh, let's go to the middle of your Bible. Uh, look for Isaiah. I want to go to Isaiah chapter 43. Just read one verse in there. So this is, um, this is much later in the whole story, but look at 43 verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. So I just read this because it talks about uh, even after people are scattered, the Lord is going to bring them back together again. And a number of these passages have talked about the east, the west, north, and the south, haven't they? Mm -hmm. And look at Isaiah 59, verse 21. He As talks of the covenant again. As for me, says the Lord... This is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth. Your mouth. Nor from the mouth of your descendants. Okay. Nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, uh -huh. says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. Forever. Again, the sense of descendants and forever. You know, mm -hmm. your mouth, your descendants' mouth, your descendants', descendants mouth, forever. They, you'll, you'll be meditating on what the Lord says. Okay, so we read about Abraham and that Abraham was going to be given a land and he, it was going to be a permanent possession for him. And his son Isaac was told the same thing. His son Jacob was told the same thing, uh, that this is how it was going to work. So come with me now, good friends, into the New Testament and look at the Gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Look at Luke chapter 16. And let's read this uh, story right here. Oh, no, actually, can you stand it? I want you to go back to Matthew first. Let's look at Matthew chapter 22. That'll be to the left from Luke there. And um, let's just read verses 31 and 32 first, where Jesus tells people something about the resurrection of the dead. And what does he say? 
But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Wait a minute. So Abraham's living, and Isaac's living, and Jacob's living. So the resurrection, so they're all still alive, even though in the biblical story we read about how they all died. Uh, they're alive. He's the God of the living. And now turn back to Luke 16, and we'll read the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. So start at verse 19 in chapter 16 in Luke. And we'll ponder this a little bit here, friends. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. So this is a parable that Jesus tells. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. Does now, that... uh, Swedenborg says that Lazarus, uh, Lazarus was a Gentile and he stands for the Gentiles. And he says that the rich man uh, was someone from ancient Judaism because they had the word, what they were rich in. A lot of people read this, understandably, as about people who have wealth and people who don't have wealth. And I don't think that's a, a wrong or a terrible way to read it. But a deeper level to it is that when you're rich in the scriptures, that you have the Old Testament, you have this wonderful, that's what it means, that he was clothed in purple and fine linen and just lived luxuriously every day, just enjoying these scriptures, enjoying this truth that he had. Uh, and there were commandments in the Old Testament to share this with everybody. But here's this beggar named Lazarus who represents somebody outside Judaism, and he was laid at his door full of sores. Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And what that means is that Lazarus, the, the Gentile, the people in the surrounding nations around Judaism, were longing to understand what the truth was, uh, but they weren't being given it because uh, ancient Judaism wasn't sharing its texts with others and its understanding. They were enjoying them, but they weren't sharing them. Hmm. They were supposed to share them. And the sores uh, represent the fact that um, Lazarus had bad habits. He had evils in his life because he didn't have the truth to cleanse his life. He was longing for it. He wished to have the truth. He didn't have it. So there were problems in his life. And dogs in Scripture correspond to lusts. Uh, the, these are problems that he has in his life because he's not getting the truth. And he's having those problems because someone else who has the truth is not sharing it with him. Okay, go on. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Whose bosom? Abraham's. Abraham. Abraham. Where is Abraham? Is he in the Holy Land? That land, he must be in Palestine, right? What do they say? Carried no, angels, angels came and carried He's got to be in heaven. Abraham is in heaven. Oh, Abraham is in heaven. The Lord promises him a covenant that this land will be yours. And Abraham is in heaven. Oh, so that wasn't even talking literally about the Holy Land in this world. That was talking about heaven. 
Heaven was the land where there'd be an everlasting covenant because we've seen with Abraham, with his descendants, it hasn't been an everlasting covenant. It's been actually a very rocky story with a lot of tragic sort of things. The Jews being kicked out of this country, that country, the other country, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, that, that hasn't been fulfilled. But this, Abraham is, is there in heaven. Interesting. Okay, and the rich man also died and was buried, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Verse 23. Thank you. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So the rich man goes to hell here. That's what Hades means. In the Old King James, it just says, in hell. Mm -hmm. You know, he lifts up his eyes and so on. And there's Abraham and there's Lazarus in his bosom. Uh -huh. Now wait, Lazarus, we talked about strangers not too long ago in this Bible study. Lazarus was not one of us. He was one of them. Lazarus was a Gentile. And Abraham is touching him. Didn't we hear that you, you weren't allowed to touch them? You weren't allowed to eat the same food, go in their house, touch their possessions, anything like that. And here's Abraham, and he's just holding him. He's just clinging to him and embracing Lazarus. Wow. So it seems like Abraham is not only in heaven, He's a more compassionate person than he was when he was in this world. Wow. Abraham is in heaven and he's more compassionate than he was. Go on. Then the rich so man, the rich man says, The mm -hmm. rich man cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now many people have thought of this flame as a literal physical flame. It's actually the flame of, of all that uh, evil desire and so on. You know, it, it's, it's uh, or, or hatred in your heart, things like that, um, judgment and so on. Go on. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things mm. and likewise Lazarus evil things. Mm. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. Wow, striking, isn't it? So... So the, the rich man had a good time in this world, but now he's not having a good time after death. And again, I don't think this is about physical, material wealth. This is about how you treat the truth that you've been given. Do you share it with others or not? And because he didn't share it and he didn't have compassion, even though Lazarus was sitting right there at his gate suffering, he couldn't be bothered to get up and just walk over there and give him something. Uh, it's not going well for him. But Lazarus, who wanted the truth, even though he couldn't get it, Lazarus had what he needed. He had that desire for the truth that carried him into heaven and into the bosom of Abraham. Go on. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore. Okay, and oh. sorry, I want to pause for just a yeah. second there. Not only is Abraham compassionate, but Abraham is wise and knowledgeable, right? He knows how things work in heaven. He knows about the great gulf fixed and he's explaining to him. So in other words, Abraham's in heaven, he's compassionate uh, and he's wise. Go on. Then he said, I'm not sure which he That's the rich to. man. Okay, then the rich man said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him, Lazarus, Lazarus. Yes, to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, 
lest they also come to this place of torment. Yes, so testify to them oh, okay. so they won't come to this same place of torment. So it's good that the, that the rich man is feeling some sort of compassion or concern about his brothers, uh, that they won't come to this same place of torment. So please interfere, intercede, do something about it. Mm. Now think about when Abraham lived. There was Abraham, then there was Isaac, then there was Jacob, and then uh, the children of Israel, which were, and then they uh, were in Egypt for a long time, and then they traveled to, uh, with Moses' help. So Moses was way later than Abraham. Way, way, way later. And then way later than Moses were the Old Testament prophets. You know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. What does Abraham say here? Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Abraham knows about Moses and the prophets. He didn't know about them in this world because they hadn't happened yet. But he knows about Moses and the prophets. He knows about the scriptures. Wow, Abraham is wise. He's wise and compassionate, is he not? Go on. Uh, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Mm. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead... They will repent. Ah, there's the R word. They will <laughs> repent. The rich man is concerned. He knows that the way that you get to heaven is you have to repent. And he's concerned about them that they're not going to repent. And the way that you could talk them into repenting is if someone went to them from the dead. Mm -hmm. And what does Abraham say? And Abraham said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Mm, we did a whole Bible study on that verse one, one night. Uh, if they don't hear Moses, and the, which who they already have, they already have Moses and the prophets. And so, um, wow, what, what a story. So look at what's happened here. Where was Abraham's holy land? Where was his covenanted land? His land was in the other world. He was told that would be his permanent place, and it is. He's up there. He's the same person he was before, but he's, I would argue, wiser and more compassionate than he was in this world. Abraham is doing wonderfully. He's doing just fine. Okay. Um... Let's go back to Matthew 19. Turn to the left and uh, go back to Matthew 19. There are lots of passages like this, but I just wanted to read this one. Jesus says in verse 29 at the end of that chapter, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Eternal life. Eternal life. Yes, and so Scripture speaks quite often about eternal or everlasting life. Uh, and in, in certain passages, um, oh, maybe we'll just read one of those. Uh, turn to the right. Let's go to, I think it's John 12. Let's see. Is that what I want? No, I might want John 4, let's see, where is it, John 4, yes, here it is, John 4, verses 13 and 14 is the one I want. Okay. This is, he's talking to the woman at the well of Samaria. 
13 and 14. Yeah. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Yes, everlasting life. And there are various passages. If you look at the different passages about eternal life or everlasting life, you see that they are about whether you're obeying the commandments or not. Same as we saw back in Deuteronomy, that those who obey the commandments will have a long life in the land that you're going to. Uh, but if you don't, you won't last long. You, you know, you'll, you, you'll perish from that land and, and be driven out. Um, oh, let's look at an example like that. Okay, turn to the right uh, through Acts and go to Romans there, Paul's epistle to the Romans. Some people think that after Jesus died, all the rules changed or something. But I keep seeing that they didn't. And here's what Paul says to the Romans in chapter 6, starting at the 18th verse there. And we'll read the rest of that chapter. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Oh. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members... Present. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Yes. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? I love that question. What fruit did you have in the things that you're now ashamed of? For? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God... You have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. Everlasting life. You see, everlasting life has to do with following the commandments, changing your life and so on. And he makes it even clearer in the last verse there. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, that's right. So there are a number of passages like that that associate eternal life with obedience to the commandments, to moving away from sin and so on. All right. Now, uh, that land uh, where people go, that land, uh, the first thing I want to say is, remember to the first verses that we read tonight, that Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Let's go back and look at that again. Turn, turn to the left to John 14, the beginning of that chapter. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. God prepared a place for Abraham, didn't he? And it was interesting that when Abraham died, it said he was gathered to his people, didn't it? He was gathered to his people. Uh, and that expression occurs a lot in the Old Testament. So the Lord went and prepared a place for him. And that is a place where Abraham can be together with the Lord because Abraham's in that compassion, that wisdom that come from the Lord. That's how he prepares a place. Now, it's more specific. What I want to tell you, friends, and I can't really demonstrate it from Scripture but those of you who are familiar with the works of Swedenborg may have seen these kind of statements before. 
this amazing thought that he has about the geography of the spiritual world. The, the, other, the other world has a geography. It has countries, it has lakes and rivers and streams, and it has cities and villages and, and mountains and, and weather and, and zone, climactic zones and all kinds of things. And um, it is, uh, it's a whole world, but its geography is not determined in this, as it is in this world, is determined by what you love and what you think. It is determined by the state of your heart and the state of your mind. That's where you are. So where you are in that world is wherever your heart is and wherever your mind is. That's where you are. When Abram, as we'll be talking about next time, when Abram's called the journey, that's a call for him to change the state of his heart and change the state of his mind. In a spiritual journey, that's the only way to get from A to B is to go through that change. But try to imagine, if you can, friends, what it would be like to live in a world, because this is what awaits us immediately after death, is a world in which where we are is a reflection of the, of the state that we're in, the state of our mind. It's an amazing thought. One thought that's evident from that, in this world, you'll notice that at any given moment, no, no two people can occupy exactly the same little chunk of space. You know, everybody sort of displaces like everybody has their own little piece of space that they're in right now. If you did it over time, they'd all be crisscrossing and crossing over each other and occupying the same space over time. But at any given moment, they're in discreetly separate spaces. Uh, this is true in the spiritual world as well because no one's thought is exactly like anyone else's. And no one's heart is exactly like anyone else's. So even while we're living in this world, we already occupy a certain space that nobody else occupies in the spiritual world. And part of what I hope to convey to you, good friends, this evening is that these are not vague statements. These are not statements about, you know, about Cain. It's not about people living long ago. There is a place for you individually, each one of you, there's a place that the Lord is preparing for you in that world, and it's unique. It's not the same as anyone else's place. You'll be connected with lots of other people, and there are characteristics, those characteristics we saw in Abraham, of love and compassion, understanding and wisdom and clarity and so on, that are in common you know, through the, through the heavens and so on. But everybody has their own version of it, and everybody takes up their own unique space there. Uh, so the Lord prepares a place for each one of us and the course of our lives. Sometimes you get the feeling, uh, that, and, and religious organizations are some of the worst about this, but they're not the only ones. Sometimes political, you know, sometimes governments, people seem to want to, like, is it crowd control? What is it? They want to get people all marching in the same direction in the same way. Or, or trying to create a cookie cutter and make everybody be the same as every, you know, this is the mold, this is the way that you should be. Everybody should be this way. But uh, Swedenborg says this amazing statement that if you even mention to angels the idea that there have ever been any two people who are identical, they feel nauseous. They feel sick at the idea that there would be two identical people. Because the whole part of the beauty of what the Lord has created, it's so incredible 
How does he do it? The only thing, if you're about to meet a stranger, the only thing you can guarantee to yourself is that they are going to be different than any other person you ever met in your life. When a new child is born, the only thing you know about that kid is that they're going to be different than any other person who ever walked on this planet. Sometimes it's difficult or painful to feel like you're different from other people. Sorry, that's the way the Lord built the thing. We're all different. And we're all on this journey. Your parents weren't handed an owner's manual. You don't know how to get where you're going. The Lord will just lead you gradually on that story to try to get to, to where, you, where you're intended to be. The Lord is preparing a place for you. And we'll talk more next time about how, how you get there, what you need to do to go through that change of heart and mind. And all of those spaces... All of those good places in heaven, all of those good feelings and all of those good thoughts are things that are in the Lord. Let's look at Acts chapter 17. So turn to the right if you're in John there. Go to Acts 17. And what does he say here? Let's just read uh, from verse 24 in Acts 17. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. One blood. <clears throat> and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Yes, so people grope for the Lord, you know, and it's their choice whether to grope for him or not. But people have the option of groping for the Lord. But Paul says uh, to these Athenians, he's not far from any one of us. For, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. His offspring. In him we live and move and have our being. Such a resonant, amazing phrase. And that's what heaven is. If you really look at the story at its deepest possible level, Canaan or that land, that holy land, the land flowing with milk and honey is the Lord. It's being in the Lord and having the Lord in you. Let's turn to the left to John. I know we're bouncing around a little bit here. Look at John 6, this very strange statement he makes. But when you look at it through a spiritual lens, it becomes so beautiful. Uh, John 6 uh, verse 56 is about people eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Mm. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Yes, both ways. That person dwells in the Lord and the Lord dwells in that person. That is what it is to be in the Holy Land. And the space that you take up when he does that will be different than the space that he takes up by dwelling in someone else and they're dwelling in him. Everybody will have their own. It's not that we all crush in together and all mob around, you know, or something like that. The Lord is, is having us all 
uh, go in our own way and develop in our own way. And we're to be connected with each other and we're to support each other, but we're all becoming different people and sometimes you sort of feel like, oh, I didn't turn into that person. That's such a shame. Uh, you weren't supposed to turn into that person. Uh, look at John chapter 14, uh, <laughs> 19 and 20. This is just where we were, wasn't it? The mansions of heaven. We've come full circle around here. This is just a little later in Jesus' discourse. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. Mm. At that day, at that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Yes, that's right. And look at the very next statement. How do you become in the Lord? He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Yes, it's all about keeping the commandments. So uh, the, what I'm focusing on here tonight is that uh, being in the Lord and the Lord being in us, that's another way of saying this will be your everlasting possession. This is the land that I'm giving you. The Lord, in some sense, says to each one of us, I have a territory that I've marked out for you. Fine if you don't want it. Uh, if you want to opt out, I can prepare a place for you in, in hell, and I'll still bring all my divine love to bear on that. Uh, make it a place where you're among other people who are like you, and, and you can do certain things you want to do as long as you're not hurting other people. Unfortunately, if your chief delight is to hurt other people, it's going to be a frustrating situation for you, but I'm still, I'll still prepare a place for you and take, take care of you there. Uh, but if you want to be in me, the Lord says, I've got this territory for you. I think you're going to love it, uh, which is your own state of heart and your own state of thought that's unique. And other people will appreciate what you bring. You'll appreciate what they bring. And all together, it'll be like this symphony. It'll be like this rainbow of color and so on. Uh, that's what the Lord is trying to create. Uh, look back at 14, verse 17. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you. With you. And will be in you. And will be in you. Dwells with you and will be in you. Something about Abraham's journey, something about the children of Israel. Uh, the pillar of cloud and fire that goes along with them as they wander in the wilderness. The Lord is with you and will be in you. You know, like as you're journeying towards the Holy Land, He's with you. When you get there, He's in you and you're in Him. That's the goal that He's headed for. Uh, turn to the back of your Bible and just a little bit before the book of Revelation, see if you can find 1 John uh, chapter 3. And you see again the importance of obeying the commandments. 3 verse 24, the very end of that chapter. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And he in him, yes. That's the Lord. In other words, the person who keeps the Lord's commandments abides in the Lord, and the Lord abides in that person. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Mm. And look over at 4 verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected 
in mm. us. And I think about that image of Abraham with this Gentile in his bosom, you know, just, just holding him. Uh, so beautiful. Go mm -hmm. on. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Yes. And Go we on. have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Mm. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Yes. If you abide in love, if you're able to stay coming from a place of love, then the Lord dwells in you, and you dwell in the Lord. Uh, because it's not a place. So many people kind of can't help but sort of think in a concrete way. We, we're all prey to this, where we think it's just a place. Heaven is a place, and if you could just get into that place, uh, that would be fine. But really what it means when it says the Lord is going to prepare a place for you, means he's going to prepare a state for you, a state of mind and a state of heart. That's what it takes to be in heaven. If you're not in that state, if you're not thinking those things, it does you no good to, to be among, amongst the angels. That, that doesn't feel good at all. Uh, we have to be in that state. The Lord goes to prepare a place for us. So um, Abraham's promised land is heaven. It's the only thing to me that makes sense of those passages. Why would you say to him, I'm giving you a physical country that you'll be long dead before anybody related to you ever inhabits in any kind of permanent way? Makes no sense. And yet we read again and again, the Lord is giving that land. And he says to the people, I gave this to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet, you know, well, they died long before, you know, they just sojourned there and everything. Uh, it makes so much sense that that promised land is heaven. Aren't there gospel songs that, that say that kind of thing? Of course it's heaven. And in fact, it's not just heaven, but that promised land is the Lord. A little harder for us maybe to wrap our heads around that, but it is the Lord. Uh, Swedenborg says this beautiful statement that the Lord constitutes heaven and the angels merely populated. <laughs> Such a great statement. So it's not that the angels are heaven. It's that they're in heaven because they're in the Lord. Because the Lord is what makes heaven. And Swedenborg describes seeing the vastness of heaven. It is so unbelievably vast uh, that there's just no, you know, it'll, ne it'll never be filled. In the infinity of God, can you see that if you're infinite love and you're infinite wisdom, there's an infinite amount of space in there for different people to be different people and to grow in that unique love and that unique understanding. There's infinite space. There, it's endless. So that's why scripture talks about us being in the Lord and the Lord being in us. Um, and isn't it beautiful that the Lord just sums that up in that original verse that we, we read from John 14, that I go to prepare a place for you and I'll come back and I'll bring you there so that where I am, you may be also. So simply put, but there's a lot to that. And we'll talk a little more next time about how we might 
be able to get to this place that's prepared for us, to our own holy land, to our own Canaan. Thank you, good friends. God bless. Let's close with a prayer. Yes? It's not just in heaven. It can be here on earth, too, if we fight to live that, that life on earth, right? The, the, yes, the question was, uh, it's not just in heaven after we die. That's right. It's, it's a spiritual state here on this earth. That's absolutely right. And we can fight to be in this. In fact, we have to fight to be in that state while we're here in this world. And I think Abraham's journeying is a picture of that effort to come into that state while he's here in this world. And he sojourns there. And then after he dies, he goes to the place that his spirit has been. And uh, the whole purpose of heaven on earth is to have a whole bunch of people who are doing that and turning this into heaven down here. Uh, don't just wait for the uh, retirement plan, you know, uh, <laughs> cash in soon and, and, uh, and often. Yes, thank you, friends. Let's close with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we turn our hearts and minds to you, Lord. We thank you for that vastness that you are, the hugeness of your love and of your wisdom. Thank you showing us what it was like for Abraham to grow in you, to grow in compassion, to grow in wisdom, and giving us that glimpse of him in that other world, holding Lazarus in his bosom and loving him. Thank you for that picture of Lazarus going through some suffering in this world, having a difficult time here, longing for the truth and not finding it. But you were preparing him. You were preparing a place for Lazarus as well as for Abraham. You prepare a place for all people all over the whole world. And help us, Lord, if we know any truth, if we have any vision of you, help us to share that with all the Lazaruses. And to the extent that we are Lazaruses, we hope that you help us, Lord, and show us that Abraham and bring us to you. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so that we may get there ourselves one day.